Welcome to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark. I have a special guest, a recurring guest. Uh, it is Dwayne Davidson. Thank you, Dwayne, for joining me. Thank you. Pleasure yeah. to be here. Now, you're, um, you just left the position as a state treasurer, mm-hmm. and uh, we had you on the show talking professionally about that uh, a couple of times. Um, I must say, I'm, I'm disappointed that you're not continuing in that position because I tend to be a very uh, cranky fiscal type person. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 like, I like having some, uh, you know, some fairly um, reasonable control on the purse strings, whether it's at home or in the state. <laughs> That's my <laughs> proclivities. But um, I'm having you here today because, well, you know a lot about the Valley and you were actually in some negotiations to start uh, your own radio show here on Valley 104.9. What's I'm that? looking so much forward to it. Yeah, let's talk about that just for a couple minutes. Um, you had approached me because you have very strong ties here to the Valley, of course, and um, you have ties in the state. You know, you you've been, you've you, this is your home, and uh, you expressed a lot of interest in the historical aspect. Tell me, tell me how you uh, envision your show, what you're working on to create this show. Yeah, I, I have such a, a deep interest in the state uh, and uh, in uh, the entire state. Uh, uh, history can be a subject that I uh, get a big interest in no, no matter where I'm at. Uh, the Snoqualmie Valley, of course, because that's home to me, is of a place especially near and dear. But quite frankly, even in my uh, new home uh, in uh, Kennewick, Washington, I have been very involved with the historical preservation uh, efforts. Uh, here also, just because I like uh, local history, I believe that there is so much to really learn from uh, our history, and we just don't take advantage of that enough. And it's also so uplifting to just see the fortitude and the resolve that our uh, forefathers, and, uh, uh, our, our uh, 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 parents and grandparents, great-grandparents exhibited coming to this area, I mean, I can tell you stories about my family when they came to uh, Duval, they bear, they lived in a tent, you know, to until they got their house and barn, and the barn was built before the house, because they had to have a place for the cows first, yeah. and uh, that's, the, you know, because that's the, where the, the that, those were the money makers for, for them, and so uh, local history is so a great interest to me, and so um, my mom and my uh, my sister are uh, very involved in the Total Circus Society. I'm now that I'm uh, retired, uh, so to speak, uh, I have more time to be spending uh, uh, with this endeavors. I've been in uh, just the last couple of weeks, I've been in twice to the archives, looking up um, old assessor records and things for the Historical Society and a project that they're doing um, to, um, to put some uh, plaques commemorating uh, some of the buildings on Main Street and Carnation. So I've been helping do some research in, uh, in, uh, for that and uh, really having a lot of fun, fun doing it. So when I heard about uh, 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 from um, this possibility of a radio show from somebody that I like a lot and said they come to me and said, hey, would this be of interest to you? Heather, I said, of course it would. I am so looking forward to having the opportunity to sit down and talk about interest of um, of, um, of uh, uh, from a history perspective of the Snoqualmie Valley. I like to talk about family histories because there's some very uh, prominent families that came and, and uh, I'd like to talk about the Native American history. We have such a rich uh, uh, amount of Native American uh, history uh, involving the Tol- and, uh, 
and, and, and uh, settlements they had at the Tolt and the uh, Griffin Creek by the Snoqualmie tribe. Um, uh, talk about the railroads, talk about the very, talk about the evolution of the industry and economics of the valley, that it was first, uh, first uh, timber, of course, then it went to hops, and hops was actually number one agricultural crop, and then to dairy, and so all these things are topics of fascinating uh, little discussions that we can have, and there's still quite a few people that we can, um, can, can uh, pick up and and uh, rely on to give us some insight about this kind of stuff. And so I'm so looking forward to be able to yeah. get a guest each week in to uh, talk about some of these uh, 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 things, which I think will be, of uh, anybody that's got any kind of liking to history, I think this will be a fun uh, fun opportunity. And we'll, we'll try to, uh, um, to make it uh, uh, interesting and fun for them. Well, and I think it's going to be. And I've told you about my my interest. I would love to uh, record the um, um, spoken history from especially women. I mean, we have a real um, um, wonderful uh, older women that have been in the valley for. I, I mean, I even titled my 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 series uh, um, from uh, loggers to farm wives to hippie chicks. You know. <laughs> because that's kind of the transition of the valley. And, and now, of course, we're kind of a suburbia. Um, and so women have lived through that. And a lot of times women's history has not been recorded as diligently as the um, general history, which is oftentimes, especially in, in previous early 20th century, um, men's history, you know, um, and economic history, et cetera. So mm -hmm. I have a particular interest in making sure that those women's stories and their lived experiences uh, get become a part of the public record. So I, I'm really looking forward to what you come up with and uh, really looking forward to uh, seeing what, what, what you can do with this, because it's going to be exciting, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I invited you here for a, a very um, specific reason, Duane. When we met before, we've always talked about economic things. We've talked about the uh, state budget. We've talked about the importance of um, a balanced budget and an emergency fund. And since we last spoke, I think it was at the beginning of the whole COVID thing, everything's changed. Everything has changed. And um, we did dip into that emergency fund. And now, you know, the legislature finally got together <laughs> and decided that they would legislate as a group. And um, there's a lot of things that they're passing, a lot of money that they're spending, a lot of money that they are trying to collect. Um, I'm thinking particularly of the um, um, capital gains tax. Um, mm -hmm. And yet I'm getting conflicting information. Some reports I read show that even if we don't raise one single dime more in our tax rates, our state is going to have a 7% higher income in the last two years or in the next two years than, than we have. What, what, what's going on with this state tax? What, what, why is it needed? Is it needed? Um, what, give me your take on it. Well, my take, of course, will be uh, my personal opinion. And no, it's not. Yes. And uh, it's not needed. And in fact, you're right. Uh, uh, we will know a lot here. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but I know it's coming right up. Uh, economic forecast is uh, 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 is uh, meeting again, and they will be having their. Uh, I think it's just within a week or two, and uh, they will be having their new uh, revised economic forecast uh, for the state. And it's going to be. And all predictions is that it is going to be a favorable forecast. And you're right. Um, 
the Republicans have put together, uh, not to get overly political about this, but Drew uh, Stokesbury has put together at the House, and the, uh, it's my understanding the Senate uh, concurs with, uh, they have their own budget, but is quite similar, a, um, a budget that doesn't raise any new taxes, provide some tax relief to working families and and uh, those in uh, uh, those in need and uh, does so without uh, dipping into the rainy day fund does so without r raising any additional taxes so that makes you wonder what is going on here that makes them uh, push so hard for these new additional taxes and we've been hearing a lot about this capital gains um, and I think that you know my own personal opinion once again, is I don't think it's out of necessity as much as it is out of a philosophy that some people aren't paying their fair share. And this is more of a re-engineering of how we collect taxes and uh, uh, an effort to, um, to, to shape a more fair and equitable, uh, in their minds, uh, a tax uh, situation that we have now as it is to try to fulfill an actual uh, economic need for these additional uh, taxes. It isn't needed. I think it's really reckless to be talking about this, even though this is hitting, you know, uh, just a certain segment of the population, I guess you could say, um, uh, there's, uh, 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 there's still why right now when the state needs uh, our state businesses, uh, don't need this. Uh, we they have just came out of those businesses that have been able to stay open and stay alive. This is not what they need, especially when it's not needed by the uh, by the state government. And uh, and I, I just think it's a reckless reckless thing to do. And uh, this capital gains tax is uh, really upsetting to me because. I think that along with a lot of the other stuff that they're advancing, uh, we'll talk about the state bank a little bit later too. I think a lot of this is just they're putting the wheels in motion for future changes and a future evolution towards, uh, you know, a bigger government and more taxes. And, and uh, you know, I don't like it. I don't, um, it's been pretty well quoted and you've heard it said by some uh, out there that we will be the first state, we're only, uh, there's only a handful of states that uh, doesn't collect a capital gains tax, we're one of them. But if we pass this, we'll be the only state that has a capital gains tax without the full income tax uh, also. We'll be, we'll be the only one mm -hmm. that has only a portion of the income being taxed and not to be a full-fledged you know, income tax type of a state. And, I think it's important for to, to set in because I think people just don't realize that once you've built that infrastructure to collect this capital gains tax, you basically have the infrastructure to take it to the next full measure. And I think that that's what the intent is all along. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, um, the expression, the, the camel's nose under the tent flap yes. comes to mind yeah. because I've never, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little long in the tooth and I have to be honest, I have never seen a tax once it was created that went down or was eliminated. Exactly. They never do. They yeah. never do. So I, my assumption is, is that if this tax, well, okay, great. Let's all go after the billionaires, um, which philosophically I don't necessarily agree with. Um, nothing is ever fair, hundred percent fair. Nothing. And in my opinion, every time you create something in an effort to make things more fair, 
something else, <laughs> there's an unintended consequence and you're never going to make things fair. You know, life is never going to be fair. And nope. it seems to me that about, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, we started becoming very jealous of people who made money. Um, when I was young, I grew up in a very rural area of Ohio. Most people didn't go to college. Most people, you know, uh, and e but even if you knew that your job and your life's work was going to be at the neighborhood gas station, you aspired to own that gas station someday. Mm -hmm. You as aspired to have it be yours. That seems to be gone. And it, rather than seeing people with wealth or privilege as something to aspire to, we have now made those people somewhat evil, nasty, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, yeah, and to, to be um, hand slapped. And I, I don't agree with that philosophy. I mean, I don't have a problem with somebody being wealthy. I, I wish I were, you know, I, I don't have a problem with somebody making a living or earning a profit. I would like to do that too. Um, you know, so I philosophically do not, I don't see why we need to just go after them. And from what I've seen, a lot of these extremely wealthy businesses um, do do a lot for the community. I hear mm -hmm. politicians saying, well, they don't do enough. Well, really? And do you get to decide what's enough? I guess so. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess so. If you have enough votes, you get to make that decision. But I, 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 I agree with you. I think this is a philosophical thing. I don't think that it's going to do anything to change the equity of taxes. I mean, I keep hearing this argument that, well, we have a, a tax system that that penalizes the poor more than the wealthy because the, you know, the percentage of, of income that's being taken for taxes. But implementing a new tax like this is not doing anything to give relief to poor people. They're not they're not touching no. that, you know, so I, I don't know. You're absolutely right, Heather. I, you know, uh, on this whole fairness issue, as someone that's, you know, I'm a CPA and I very early on in my career, I did taxes for a while for people and uh, a newsflash, uh, the rich get a lot of breaks with an income tax too. They always build loopholes and things like that. Mm -hmm. So people start off with this argument about how making the fair, more fair and equitable uh, tax system and they automatically assume that we're all buying into the agreement that if we could make it work somehow, of course, an income tax would be a fair way to tax the population. I say, hold it, stop. I need to be shown that because the way I see it is that in the income tax system and our federal income tax system and in other states, there is lots of loopholes that people can get so that they're not paying that kind of tax. We all know that. They talk about well, during Eisenhower, you know, the, the years, the tax rate was up like 70% or 80%. He was a Republican and everything. But how many individuals actually paid that much tax? They didn't have, you know, there's a thing about theory and then there's practice, you know, uh, reality. Yeah. And I think that that's what's missing on a lot of people is that they they talk about that uh, uh, that this is just an assumption that everybody will buy into. And I don't, I think, that there is, I get it to where they say that the rich spend less of their income in percentage. I get that. But on the same token, if you go out and you buy yourself a yacht because you're rich enough to do that, or you buy yourself a real fancy car or something like that, in this state, there is no loopholes. There is no loopholes to the excise tax. You will pay that percentage, no matter if that is a Ford or 
you know, Alexis, it's, you're going to pay uh, a based upon uh, that percentage, based upon that price. That means that you have the ability to pay some, to some degree of how much you pay in taxes by your spending habits. And I, I don't know why that's not appreciated more that in some ways, I think that the present system is one that actually is giving, uh, and we don't tax food. So I think that in some ways, our current income tax or our current tax system is not as unfair as it's made, made out to be. One of the questions that I have when I hear people who are proponents of this tax, uh, I have heard the argument uh, from, from some of the billionaires saying, oh, this will be fair. This will, you know, this, this is going to be just fair and we have plenty of money and so we should be paying more. Can't they pay more even if they aren't particularly taxed for it? I mean, if they really they want could. to pay more, they can do it, right? Yeah, if they feel that good about it and it gives it and it allows them to sleep better at night, yeah. go ahead and write the check yes. to the treasury. We, I was a treasurer, I could tell you, we would have took it. Yeah, yeah no, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely so. It's, uh, um, yeah. Uh, and if they really wanted to, if they really want to solve their conscience, they could make that check out to Heather. <laughs> <laughs> and you promise to do good with it. Yeah, that's it. I promise. <laughs> hey, and I, I, you know, I want to just real quickly tell you one of the things is a nerdy CPA type is I've read a lot of discussions about this from different publications about the about the capital gains tax, and about you know some people say that it's all by law will go in the general fund, but they're talking about a portion will go in the education legacy fund and taxpayer relief fund and some will go in the general fund and all these things. And they all talk about how that's needed to for child care and for reducing tax burdens on on uh, uh, on the poor uh, um, and uh, families. Uh, but one of the things I find interesting is I went right to the fiscal note because that's what nerds do. Okay. And I want to see what is the administration cost of this because oh. nobody ever talks about that. Mm -hmm. What is it costing us to collect this tax? Because that money just doesn't show up. Someone has to go out there and collect it. Someone has to enforce it. Someone has to audit. Someone has to prosecute if people don't pay. Mm -hmm. There has to be enforcement actions. There has to be all this. And so I found this interesting. I went and looked just last night and I didn't write the numbers down. So I'm doing most of this. So forgive me, maybe rather loose with numbers, but it was averaging in the next couple of years, if I remember right, right around uh, just to start off because it starts with that emergency, you know, it starts the uh, next year. Um, they, they, they started off with this being, I suppose I didn't see this for a fact, but I think it's like going to be a new division of department revenue. It didn't say that in the bill, but, the department of revenue was listed in the fiscal note as being the, the one that is going to be uh, uh, given the biggest burden of of um, of cost for this and that's where i'm assuming that is that who's going to be doing the work it just seems to be natural and it was 35 fte's right off the bat at you know several oh, million dollars uh, I, I was gonna say I, that would just be a drop in the bucket to administer this kind of thing wouldn't it Absolutely. And that's why I tell myself, are they re is really, and even at 35, you know, this is one single tax, even if it's 35, and I don't think it's going to be, I think it's going to be higher than that. Think of this, that uh, uh, the entire treasurer's office that handles, uh, that I was the treasurer of, the entire treasurer's office that handles all of, you know, the funds, except for some certain ones like the pension funds and, uh, the um you know that, that that's by the uh state investment board and then of course the um 
uh, and we talked about this in previous, uh, made the uh, uh, unemployment fund, which I think should be under the treasury after the fiasco that we have. But yeah, that's, that, was, that's, that's, a, that's on my list of questions. We'll get to that one later. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of like, uh, why is that? But uh, 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 the, the state treasurer's office has a lot of responsibilities and we're 60 FTEs. Here's one single tax and they're already planning on 35 and I don't think and it's going to get ramped up of, of um, collecting this because it's going to be a new tax. There's going to be lots of questions. There's going to be a lot of training. There's going to be a lot of legal yes. actions. And right out of the gate, we know there's going to be major court costs because I believe that this is, I believe, and I'm not for all uh, the listeners of this program, I'm not an attorney. I don't pretend to be one. But I really do believe that this has constitutional uh, problems all over it because of the income tax prohibition, because this is an income tax. Yes. And well, there's so been numerous, uh, the IRS and, you know, I mean, numerous decisions that a capital gains tax is an income tax. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and we just can't pretend it's something else. Yeah. And well, so yes, uh, we can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Use your imagination, Dwayne. Apparently we can. Dwayne, I'm looking at the clock. We need to take a quick break, but okay. um, it's fun. It's fun to delve into some of this stuff, you know, and, and I appreciate it. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come right back with more Valley Talk right here on Valley 104.9 FM. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your Valley community radio station. Remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinaire talent Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Jay Fisk, host of Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley. We're the show that's on every week, and we talk about nonprofits that help all of us who live, work, and play here in the fabulous Snoqualmie Valley. You can catch us at 5.30 p.m. on Sunday, and then we do an encore presentation on Monday at 6.30 p.m. That's 5.30 Sunday evening and 6.30 on Monday for Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Hi, I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian, investigative nutritionist, and host of Food Sleuth Radio, the show that helps us think beyond our plates, connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. If you care about the food you eat, then join me on Sundays at 3 p.m. on Valley 104.9 FM for Food Sleuth Radio. Please join Interim City Manager Bob Jean and me, Mayor Kimless, for Carnation Currents. Sundays at 5 p.m., Thursdays 5.30 p.m., and Fridays 6 p.m. on Valley Radio 104.9 FM for the latest updates of Carnation. Welcome back to Valley Talk. With me is Dwayne Davidson. I'm your host, Heather Stark. We're talking down and dirty about money, aren't we, Dwayne? Yes, we are. <laughs> we're, we're rolling up our sleeves and we're going at it, um, which I love. Um, I really, you know, I do tend to be pretty conservative when it comes to the dollar signs. And with we were talking extensively about this proposed capital uh, gains tax. And well, I guess it's not proposed. They actually, well, one chamber actually passed it um, at this point. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're going for it. They're going for mm -hmm. it. And um, I just find it, um, I, I, 
to me, all it says is just just build a big, make a big balloon and write new create create new bureaucracy. You know that will cost millions and billions. I mean, look at all of the bureaucracies we've created. I, I saw a cartoon the other day, and it was you know some naive looking girl, and it was a print cartoon, and and she was you know had the batting eyelashes, and and she said, oh, of course, a new income tax will solve this problem and that problem because more taxes is how we solved homelessness, and that's how we solved hunger, and that's how we you know. <laughs> Which, of course, none of them have been solved, even though, no. you know, we have uh, wonderful bureaucracies that are going to be with us for a long, long time. Um, so I, I just see it as a huge red flag. But that's me. Um, let's talk about another financial issue that I wanted to get your take on. And that is all King County, City of Seattle, many, many other cities have mandated that grocery store workers get four dollars more an hour. Mm hmm. I saw an interview. I mean, I rankle about that because I think having run a business in the past, I don't at this point, um, but I think really, you don't know anything about my overhead, Mr. Governor or Mr. Councilman or, you know, Ms. Mayor. Mm -hmm. You don't know about what it costs me. You don't know what it costs me to get supplies in. You don't know what my insurance costs. You don't know what my rent is. You don't know any of that, but you're going to tell me that I have to pay more money to an employee Mm -hmm. who actually is taking no more risks than many, many, many other people, um, mm -hmm. you know, bus drivers. And, you know, I mean, it, isn't it interesting that the uh, government that entities that tell private industry that they have to pay their clerks more because of the COVID risk are not paying their bus drivers more. They're not paying their, you know, they're not paying any of the, you know, government employees more. So how can you make a case that one is necessary for safety or whatever? I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I'm just a simple person, Dwayne. And I just see yeah, it I, and I go, huh? I don't, I don't quite get it either because I don't, I don't make the connection there. Okay. They, uh, they, there's a additional risk there. And so, what is this additional money going for that's mitigating that risk? It's kind of like that's not, it, it, they're not really explaining that. Uh, well, uh, I, I think probably they're so expected to save it up for their funeral expenses. I don't know if it's that risky. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost that kind of, that, that kind of demanded that that's a kind of uh, uh, thought process that's into it. It's like, what are they supposed to be saving this money up for? For some, you know, like, like, is it something that morbid? I don't quite get it. It's, it's, uh, it's just an attempt to try to uh, uh, appease certain people saying, you know, we can make this happen. We can uh, uh, get you this pay raise. But the unfortunate thing is that they don't know what is uh, going on in those businesses. And let's face it, these businesses have been through so much this last year with the, with the pandemic to uh, uh, so many small businesses have gone through so much to um, to basically stay alive. And you hear these hero stories all the time of businesses that kept employees. Uh, my uh, son was telling me just the other day about a, a health club in here uh, in the Tri-Cities where uh, that gentleman uh, kept employees painting and doing repairs and things on a closed business, as long as he, he put his financial well-being at risk because he could see what his loyal employees were going through. And he just is trying to do the right thing and keep it. So the, the, the assumption when we do all this and pass this additional requirements and everything else like that, you begin to talk about this at the very beginning of the problem. We've vilified these uh, these business owners. We made them into bad people. We made them into greedy people that are out 
just for their own good. And the truth is, there are business owners that are out there that are anything but that. They are they care about their employees. They 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 care about them so much that they put their own business at risk of being able to survive, trying to keep them employed and doing the right thing by them. Uh, uh, and it just seems like the government should be meeting the these business owners halfway and not imposing a lot of additional financial obligations, regulations, and all this other stuff on them right at this point in time. I really do believe that when we emerged from this, we ought to took the opportunity that we couldn't really have a full um, uh, in-person session. And they should have, they said they were going to pare back quite a bit, but <laughs> we see that they pare back the number of bills, but the stuff that they are passing is of huge uh, uh, impact. This would be a good time to, you know, one time we worked on the legislature, it was a, they met once every two years yes. and there wasn't one in between. Maybe we should have did that for one time and just uh, <laughs> told them to stay home. You sound like me, you know, every time they talk about a government shutdown, everybody's going, oh no, a government shutdown. And I'm thinking, oh boy, a government shutdown. <laughs> yeah, 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 let's see how this works. Maybe yeah, this won't be yeah. that bad. Maybe if they can't do anything more, <laughs> things will settle down a little bit. You know? So I, I, I think that this really could have been the year where they really tried to um, uh, 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 help us emerge from this by being business friendly, by uh, not uh, uh, passing a bunch of additional burdens, but that's not the tactic. That's not the way we're going. All you, you see it in so many, like you said, not only at the state, but we're seeing it at the local level with this uh, with this minimum wage uh, 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 issue. We're seeing it at the local level. We're seeing it at the state level. We're seeing it all around, and it's really, really, it's really sad. Well, I just don't know why we have to be so unbusiness friendly. I don't either, I, and and I think the when I look at the decision makers, and I'm making a gross generalization here, um, but I am seeing a lot of people who do not live the same kind of life I live. Mm -hmm. um, especially, you know, um, they, they don't live this life. And I think quite honestly, when you've held a political position, a government job um, for 30, 40 years, you probably think that the way you live your life is pretty much the way other people live their lives. Exactly. And I got news. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. So I no, think it's... to me, the decision makers are out of touch with everyday life. Um, I think a lot of them can be very easily. They, they've been in office too long. And I think sometimes they do uh, lose touch, uh, 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 lose reality. And if they come to the legislature without ever um, uh, owning a business or having a payroll or something like that. I, you know, I suppose that there are uh, people that could become good uh, um, lawmakers and good legislators without that type of an experience. But certainly it doesn't hurt because it really gives you a sense of real life, what it's really like out there. And um, and and uh, that benefits all of us when you have that kind of experience because you know that it's a uh, uh, it's difficult to keep a business open. It's difficult to to face all these risks. And like I said, I just don't know why we have to vilify them so much. Is like there is something wrong with making a profit. There is something wrong with putting your capital up uh, and risking it to try to make additional. And, uh, and, you know, like I heard, uh, uh, I was reading one of the arguments of, uh, for the capital gains tax, and they said, let's not, rem let's not forget this person was for the capital gains tax. And they were saying, let's not forget 
that these people didn't do one day of work to get to to uh, to to achieve these capital gains. They did nothing with their own hands to deserve this. Isn't that telling about the mentality that we're dealing with? Yes. Yes. That's the attitude that they go in there. They don't deserve to keep any more of this because they don't deserve in the first place because it's not real work. Well, it's capital gains. It's, 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 it's how the business is ran, but they go in there with an out mentality of a collectivism or something like this, that that is not real work. That is not reality. That is greed always. And that's a bad Oh, Wait that doesn't bode well. I, I, you know, I mean, look, think I, with my limited, my limited knowledge of history um, and uh, governments, I can't think of too many long-term successful entity governments that had that kind of an attitude. I, I just, right. I mean, I, I just don't. Uh, you know, again, I'm not an expert in history, but I'm thinking of you know my my history courses and you know. I don't know you know, you're giving an example of an attitude. Another one that bothered me is I saw a news clip when I think it was right after Seattle did this $4 an hour for the grocery clerks. Um, And this one young woman was interviewed, asked her opinion about this. And she said, well, it just makes sense. And come on, it's only $4. And I went, it's only $4 for one person for one hour. If you're in a grocery store, you have how many, maybe 20, 25 people there. You're open 24 hours a day, you know, <laughs> do some math. You know, I mean, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars at the very least. Um, you, but- you, it, it, and, and, and it disrupts the entire business cycle. Part of what makes the whole world go around is the supply and demand and economics of everything. And if you get a place that has a uh, high living cost, you have things that are prohibitive where people can't you know, afford to buy and everything, then that has to experience where people just say, I'm giving up and I'm just gonna you know, not participate. And then the prices come down. But if you interject into that price supports or, or wage increases or something like this by government mandate, you you disrupt the whole thing and you don't have you don't allow that correction to happen and so the housing cost stays prohibitively high because you're feeding into that by Mm -hmm. guaranteed wages and everything else like that so it just basic economics tells you that that in a free enterprise system once you start doing that you ruin the machine yeah you yeah. know, it's interesting. I, th- I People are not well enough educated. I don't think about economics. Um, I, you know, during, I worked at an MBA um, for a couple of years. I did not complete it, but I had a couple of economics classes there. I had some accounting classes there too. And, and that <laughs> explains why I'm not an accountant. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, my, and then, you know, in, in a, a couple of master's programs that I've had, I've had some uh, economics classes. So I am somewhat familiar, but yeah, you know, you if you don't use it every day, forget it. And so I actually just a, a couple months ago signed up for a basic economics 101 again. And it was different this time um, but because, of course, they went over the Keynesian thing. But then mm-hmm. they also brought in this, I think it was called the Austrian method. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have, yeah, I'd never heard of that. Is that some new thinking? Well, kind of old new. 
Yeah, it's been new to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, basically, yeah. uh, the Keynesian method says, oh, these bad things happen economically. And so governments have to step in to try to counteract it. But the um, um, Austrian method says, no, you know, right. <laughs> these bad things happen because the government steps in in the first place. So, right. And I think that I was thinking of that when we were talking about this. I mean, it, it's, you know, I guess it, it, it must be kind of a, a classic um, point of contention here, you know, I mean, uh, that falls under, if, if it doesn't fall under education, if you can't educate people and, the, and come to an agreement, then it must be belief that's in there. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's causing those decisions. So I don't know. It, it's uh, interesting times. And it is, it is interesting times. I think that's a really good point. It's a very interesting times. And I think that what makes it so interesting is I think that never before, you know, I grew up with uh, the two grandfathers that one was a Republican and one was a Democrat. Mm -hmm. And uh, I heard their different philosophies and everything, but they were two gentlemen and they got along and I never heard them ever, you know, uh, um, talk disparaging about each other or anything. Never saw what I can see today. And looking back on that, reflects on. I think it's an easy explanation in that the uh, two parties of old, uh, of old, it's just a couple of generations ago. Uh, they were, we were, we were basically uh, still working within the framework of a free economic system. There were those that thought the government should be more involved, that that uh, uh, obviously the Democrats thought, you know, that more solutions lie in government than the Republicans did. Uh, but uh, there's some basic party philosophy differences. But for the most part, they both felt that the solution lied within the free enterprise system. And I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing departure from that. And we're having a hard time getting the people to actually meet up in the middle like we did in the past, because it's easy to meet in the middle of the field when you're playing the same game. Yes. But if, if one's coming from this goal line, the other's coming from this goal line, you're going to meet somewhere around the 50. If one's on a baseball diamond and one's on a football field, <laughs> you're having a little hard time. Yeah. They're, they're playing different games. Yeah, and I yeah. think that I think that the uh, uh, the more socialistic concepts that are uh, in the uh, liberal side uh, right now that are being floated are so radically different that it's harder to find a compromise. Uh, with that because that's not in our playbook does that does that kind of make sense yeah, it does make sense and i think that there's a, a kind of a sociological thing there too because within those differences um there is no meeting in the middle uh, at least not even to converse because right. if you don't agree with me clearly you are either ignorant or mean you know <laughs> and you know there's only, those are the only two explanations for why you wouldn't agree with me um, yeah. and, and it used to be um, we could talk about something and disagree and then just say basically, OK, so your experience and your education and your personal life lead you to believe X, Y, Z, whereas mine leads me to believe ABC and OK, great, let's go have dinner. But now I, I think there's a mean spiritedness that there's a mean spiritedness. And I think that basically there is less of an ability for us to actually find a compromise because they're not compromisable uh, uh, positions. They're so far apart in their underlying theory mm -hmm. about how life works and how economics should work that it's not just as easy as determining 
that, you know, you say six, I say 10, and we're going to agree at eight. It's not going to be that easy anymore because we're coming at it with some completely different political uh, philosophies and it makes a compromise, unfortunately, a little bit harder to obtain. So. Yeah. Dwayne, I want to, before we take our next break in, in just a couple of minutes, I did want to address this employment security department issue. Long ago, when I interviewed you, you mentioned that the, the state treasurer oversaw the uh, budgets, I believe, for uh, all of the state departments except employment security. And I remember my spidey sense going, huh? <laughs> Why? Why is that? And then, of course, employment security has become a huge, huge, huge thing. Um, did we ever find out why the state treasurer doesn't oversee employment security and who made that decision and when? No, I, it, it, it's evidently something that is based on tradition. We're not the only state that, that's outside. Uh, something about how the feds get involved with unemployment uh, possibly uh, led to some of that tradition being made. It doesn't make any, uh, um, it doesn't make any sense to me uh that um uh, i do believe that uh uh um there was certainly some bad mistakes being made there from a uh financial management standpoint and uh why those funds are outside of uh more direct treasury uh, control is uh especially when i just think that the average citizen just thinks we have elected treasurer and you oversee those state funds and that's substantial material amount of funds that those should be there and not under uh, um, a director that's appointed by the governor. Yeah. And then to reward that person a job in the Biden administration, I hate to You're get real political here. You're talking about the soft landing. <laughs> I just shake my head and say, you have got to be kidding me. Well, the I just, there's a lot of people that were just, just dismayed by that. It's like, oh. this can't be really happening, right? But yeah. it did. You know? Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, um, we do. We're coming up on a break again, and I want to. When we come back, I want to talk with you about what's in the future for you. We already we started okay. out the show talking about what's in the future for the radio station and you, but let's talk about what's in the future and down the road. Um, and we are going to do that right after this break. You're listening to Valley Talk with Dwayne Davidson and Heather Stark. We'll be back after this. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Valley Talk and Info. Remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinary talent Al Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio. What's going on in the Valley? What's going on in our state? What's going on in our country? Whatever it is, we're going to be talking about it right here on Valley Talk on Valley 104.9 FM. I'm your host, Heather Stark. Join me Sundays at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 6 p.m. for Valley Talk. There are three good reasons why you want to listen to the Children's Hour. One is because it has nice music and two is because there are kids in it. And three is because there's lots of good, nice stories that you might want to hear. Educational entertainment for the whole family. I love the Children's Hour. Kids Public Radio. Sundays at 10 a.m. on Valley 104.9 FM. 
Please join Interim City Manager Bob Jean and me, Mayor Kimless, for Carnation Currents. Sundays at 5 p.m., Thursdays 5.30 p.m., and Fridays 6 p.m. on Valley Radio 104.9 FM for the latest updates of Carnation. Welcome back to Valley Talk. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM. Valley Talk is our our conversational program that we have on Sunday evenings and Tuesday evenings. And Dwayne Davidson is with me, and he's the money guy. He knows money. All I know is what to complain about. But we seem to be doing a good job of it, don't we, Dwayne? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. It's it's fun. I think to have an open conversation about some of these things. I I think that we don't do that enough. I I find language bothers me lately. Um, I, I hear it in many venues. I mean, reimagine policing. Every time you heard a story, it, there was that phrase. And it's the same thing about the COVID vaccine, shots in arms, shots in arms. I don't recall ever hearing shots in arms. It was just shots. <laughs> but for some reason, somebody came up with that and every man and his dog, every news story, every article, it's shots in arms, shots in arms. And I think that, um, I don't know whether it's a limit on vocabulary for people or- I don't know what's going on, yeah. I don't know what it is, but have you noticed that where the vocabulary- Oh, absolutely. It's, it's like somebody you know comes up on the playlist and that, that's the mm-hmm. vocabulary you have to use and i get so impatient with it and you're scorned if you use the old oh yeah absolutely, absolutely. yeah yeah uh, you know uh, so i don't know i don't know I, I guess that's the uh ultimate sound bite you know mm-hmm. <laughs> Where you mm-hmm. just get the one let's talk about well i wanted to ask you one more thing because one of the other things that we kind of uh, uh touched on in our last segment was the other uh, direction that the state legislature seems to be going is in um, looking at police funding, police department funding, and uh, uh, coming, trying to come up with programs and funding programs. I'm seeing a lot of that. And somebody mentioned to me that it seemed like the legislature's focused on two things. One is taxation, and one is reducing safety. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted your take on that. What do, what do you see the legislature doing with 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 that? And what part of uh, funding, um, you know, I mean, obviously the money, the bottom line determines what you can do. So I don't know, maybe I just answer my own question on that. But what's your take on the whole um, police thing? I think I think that the, uh, you know, uh, the police situation was one of those uh that is a, is a very, very difficult uh, situation. I don't think anybody can actually, you know, hear and witness and see some of uh, the terrible uh, uh, things that have happened around our uh, country where uh, some, uh, you know, uh, bad police officers uh, 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 did some, uh, I'm not gonna even call it misbehave because sometimes it just was downright, uh, and I'm not gonna try to justify it because of their stress levels or anything else like that. There are some situations that just was wrong. And if we try to, uh, to say anything else than that, we're just going to alienate, uh, you know, a certain segment of society, rightly so, because um, there is right and wrong and, uh, you know, undue beatings or uh, infringements on rights uh, um, is, is just it should not be tolerated. And we have a lot of work to do. And, and uh, those should be. Uh, those issues should be brought to the surface and they should be dealt with. 
Um, and so to where everybody really feels comfortable about their, uh, uh, about their police uh, department. On the same hand, it is a profession that, um, that uh, you know, I know very well, I have uh, two relation that serve as law enforcement officers in the, uh, in the state. And uh, I can tell you that it is a, um, uh, it's a profession that's plagued with uh, stress. Uh, yeah, many families don't survive that type of stress. Uh, they're under, um, we, we look at them making decisions sometimes in just a split instant and think that they have the time to do all this analysis that we, you know, armchairing it later can, can exercise. And these police officers don't have that ability. And I think that unfortunately, uh, we're making a situation to where we're just getting a lot of the, um, uh, our, our good uh, uh, policemen and women so frustrated with the whole system that many of the good ones are quitting now. And that's, that's not, that's not good because, uh, you know, well, um, a well-funded, well-trained uh, police force is absolutely necessary to keep uh, uh, law and order. Uh, talk about defunding police and all this revamping the police system. There's some type, there's this mentality out there that everybody basically treats everybody okay. And if we just, uh, 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 we, don't, we don't need all this because bad things are gonna happen. Or, I mean, uh, do, they, do they take a look around? I mean, <laughs> people can be really, really vile with each other. People can be real, uh, people can steal. And so and it's, it's only like, if you're not paying attention to that, can you think that maybe you can do without a, a, a good police force? Uh, absolutely, we need our uh, a police to be well supported. We need uh, to be behind them. We need to let them know that we appreciate what they do, that they basically put themselves on the front line every day that we celebrate uh, our military folks are doing. They're doing it every day right here. And sometimes putting their, and that even goes with first responders of all sorts. My brother is a, uh, is a, a, a firefighter and it's amazing sometimes what they have to go through when they're at the front line with people uh, and the people that they face and the situations that they uh, sometimes come into. So I, I wish that this mentality that we have right now that just says that basically, once again, we're talking about you know, vilifying people. We're, we're, we're talking about like uh, making a certain class of people bad people and bad guys and we need to find a way to eliminate them. This is ridiculous talk. We can't keep going this way because every time we see efforts like this take place, there's a huge spike in crime. And it, that's, we, we, we can't tolerate that. That's just not, that's just not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, it is a complex issue. I realize that there's some very valid issues that people brought up. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I think that they need to be dealt with. Uh, on the same token, we need to stop talking about all this uh, uh, defunding police. Yes, maybe we should be spending more on mental health, but that doesn't necessarily have to be at the expense of our police departments, right? Yeah, I would think so. I, you know, I, it, it's an interesting, like we said before, it's interesting times, interesting times. And mm -hmm. some people think that they can actually roll up their sleeves and start doing something about it. Like those people who run for the legislature and, <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard about those people. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm talking to one right now. What's in the future for you, Dwayne? 
Well, I never thought I'd do this because I was a county treasurer and then I was a state treasurer. I'm a money guy. I'm a CPA. And I never really thought about being part of the uh, uh, the deliberation body of government. I was always a, a, a hired administrator like our treasurer or sheriff or those type of positions are. I was uh, uh, perfectly content of running for election in those. I never really thought, uh, I never had the desire to run for school board or commission or legislator before. But being part of um, the process and being at the state, I was able to witness that I, I think that uh, there's a lot of people that come to Olympia with a lot of ideas, but there's very few of them that know how to equate that to, you know, a financial uh, um, the financial side of it and interpret that. Like I said, I see a piece of legislation. The very first thing I go is the fiscal note and seeing how this is all being paid for. And what's the administration cost and how much is the footprint of government increasing uh, from the passage of this bill? Those are the type of things that interest me. And I think that there are some people that are very, very talented uh, in the legislature, actually on both sides, but I know the uh, on both sides are some uh, people that have uh, good skills on that, uh, just call out uh, Drew Strokesbury, that is a uh, head budget writer for the Republicans, uh, is a very, very talented and, and uh, you know, a big shout out to him. So it's not like there's a complete void, but I think that they, uh, uh, if anything is called out by some people, uh, they say that one of the places where they need more help is in legislators that understand the fiscal sides of things and don't, um, uh, look at it grudgingly to try to crunch the numbers and figure it out because some people that's like pulling teeth they don't want to do that and others like to do that such as me so I think I have that skill set that I would like to bring to the legislature to try to be supportive in, in those uh, uh, ideas I love the community I love the tri-cities uh, all three of my children uh, live here and it's a place that I uh, uh, dearly call home now and uh, there's a legislator legislative position coming open um, because the current member is running for another position. And so I have decided to throw my uh, hat in the ring. That election's not till uh, the following year. But, um, but uh, uh, and I'll never have ran for a geographical uh, uh, area that's as little as this. I've always been the county treasurer or the state. And this is just a part of Benton County, the eighth. But uh, 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 I... I look forward to trying to uh, put myself out there and the voters agree to it and send me to Olympia. I will try to uh, help out with that uh, uh, fiscal analysis of uh, legislation and solutions that they um, uh, that they bring forth and lend my talents in that degree, which I think is a lot more. Uh, there's a there's a big need of uh, more legislators of that kind of a, uh, with the, that certain skill set. It takes all kinds. It takes some of the thinkers of rethink these other issues it takes all kinds and i think that right now this is just one particular skill set that they could uh, uh use some help in they've uh, talked to a couple members that feel the same way and so um uh, so uh, that's why i decided uh, for the first time ever to to uh, throw my hat in the ring and see how this goes so well uh, I, I, my one foray into politics was running for school board umpteen years ago 
And that's a vicious little thing. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you're wise to skip school board and go straight to the legislature. It can't be. Yeah, issue. school board can be a contentious issue at times. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. That, was, that was a learning experience for me. And you talk, you say you, you call yourself a money guy. And I, I do think that your assessment, in my opinion, is correct. I mean, I think we have decision makers who are not looking at the money or they're looking at a number and not seeing how those pieces all have to fit together in a puzzle and mm -hmm. when decisions are made without full information i mean i one of my worst things is when somebody says oh well we have to do something they have to do something mm, no <laughs> sometimes when you just do something you're making things worse um and exactly I yeah it, it, there's so, so often there's not really proper analysis of right. the need analysis and the risk analysis and yeah. The different analyses is that, uh, the unintended consequences, you know, the unintended yeah. consequences of so much. Absolutely. Yes. Sometimes it's best the legislature, you know, Calvin Coolidge had it right some of the times. Best thing to do is just to do nothing. Well, see, you know, <laughs> we just freeze those legislatures for a few months and maybe yeah. things can settle down. No, anyway, yeah. well, that, that's my opinion anyway. So um, meanwhile, you got about a year to plan for that. And so you've got some things on your plate because you're going to delve into the history of the Snoqualmie Valley. And we're going to we're going to learn all about uh, all of the, the historical families. And well, I look forward so into it. I'm looking so forward to this. It's going to be so it's going to be so fun. Yes, I think it is too. I think it is too. Any hobbies? I mean, in your spare time, what are you, what are you working on? You're building. Uh, I have uh, been primarily because I've been in Olympia. I've not been able to tend to the uh, vegetable beds that I made here uh, several years back. And so uh, I can, uh, I'm, I'm planning on uh, getting uh, my uh, um, vegetable garden started here, at least get some uh, zucchini and cucumber and, uh, uh and uh um tomatoes of course oh, tomatoes yeah. are a must uh i started and see okay, where, you, see have where to, you have to try what my dad always did he did it with one or two plants because we had we had half an acre of garden every year and uh every year he would take a potato plant and a tomato plant and graft them so that you would oh. have potatoes growing underneath the ground, but tomatoes growing above. And he didn't do it with all of them, of course, but he would do it as kind of a novelty. And then the zucchini, he would, when they were little, he'd put them in bottles, glass bottles. And then the zucchini would grow to exactly the size and shape of the inside of the bottle. And then when it was time to harvest the zucchini, we'd just break the bottle. I suppose that's not the safest thing in the world, but it was sure fun. So, you know, that, those, are, that those, sounds are my, fascinating. those are my gardening hints for you. So, so see if you can graft <laughs> that tomato onto the potato. And then the other yeah. thing too, is if you grow carrots, I just found out you can eat carrot tops and they're good. Oh, I never knew they're that. Really? Yeah, we just throw those away. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're really yeah. good. I have a salad uh, dressing recipe with carrot tops in it that's just outstanding. And and uh, I guess you can add them to soups and everything. But you know what I found is that it's very hard to find carrots in the grocery store that have tops on them. Oh yeah, because they do they do uh, uh, start to uh, rot faster. Yeah, yeah but, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah, so, yeah. Grafting yeah. is always a fascinating thing. My grandfather had a knack for grafting, and the house I bought here in Kennewick. I, we have a rose out in front that was wild. It's a wild rose base. Oh, we go say but that. there's seven different varieties grafted onto it. Wow. So That's it's a wild fun. rose stock, which is very, very hardy. Yes. And there's yellow and red and there's seven different varieties all oh, in one bush. What fun. What fun. It's a, I, I call it the United Nation rose. 
<laughs> all these different varieties of. <laughs> Well, and on that note, I think we've gone from, you know, um, the, the whole gamut all the way up to the United Nations here. I think we've covered it all, Duane. Duane, always a pleasure to have you on the show. And it's I, been fun. Thank you. I really look forward to your upcoming uh, shows. And uh, do, you, do you have a title for it yet? Or you're still playing with that? No, I'm still working on that. Okay. Still trying to think of yeah. All right. Okay. Well, okay. we'll look forward to that. And thank you for listening. Join us again next week. And uh, join us on Valley Talk right here on Valley 104.9 FM.